So very glad that you are here this morning. I feel like we've had church, we've had worship, we've had fellowship, and now we're gonna get into the Word of God. How many love the Word of God? How many really love the Word of God? Yes. And for you online, thank you. We didn't forget about you, but we just had a moment here, so uh, we're glad you're joining us. Uh, we're in week two of ancient faith. Everybody shout ancient faith. Ancient faith. And last week we talked about the idea that somebody has played an important role in handing faith on to you, to us, that we're the recipients of a whole lot. And we should be so thankful. Amen? We should be so thankful of what uh, people have done to, to hand off faith to us. And we'll be journeying through this uh, time in this series, digging, digging back into some stuff that maybe we've lost or maybe that we don't realize. Somebody came to me after the uh, first service, a few people, and uh, one of the guys, because I said, I'm going to tell you some basic stuff. And he said, I've never heard this before. He said, I'm so hungry trying to write it all down. So, so if you notice, there's these big whiteboards behind us. There we go. Is that better? There's big whiteboards behind us. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to detail some stuff. It's for me, maybe, not for you, but you'll try to read it. I write a little bit in tongues, so pray for the gift of interpretation. I'll say it as well. I'll say it as well, but, but we, we, what we want to do today is help you, uh, and we won't get all, there, all the way there today, but we want to, here's Elevation Church, and if, if you're taking notes, you might want to, you can write that down, if I can spell it right, Elevation Church. So just so you know, so when I spell wrong today, I was a champion spelling bee winner at one time in my life. So, so and then we're going to pick it up here in Acts 2 with the birth of the church. And so, so we want to connect those. And we, again, we won't make it all the way today. I want to help you, not bore you. Uh, so it's important that you understand. I think having a good handle on how we got here is important for every believer. Right, there's, there's some problems in the American church, and I'll identify those. Number one, people, they, they just don't know this, and they should know this. If you're, if you're a believer in America, you should treasure and know God's word. It should be so valuable to you, right, that, that you, should, you should want to know it. Uh, the other thing is God, you should know God's truth and God's love. This idea that this isn't some religious kind of thing we're doing, but it's relationship, that we want to know the love of God and experience his love, and then we should also know God's community, right? The community of faith, his church. We should understand that and be, be a part of, active in, engaged in his church. And this, again, after first service, somebody came to me and said, hey, pastor, I just want you to know I've missed a bunch and not been, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be engaged in the church because I know that's what I need to do. And if that's what you get today, praise God, because uh, that's, that's good. But, but prayerlessness all right, so biblical illiteracy, prayerlessness, and we just, not, let me say something, if we're praying, if we're praying, and if we are reading our Bibles, um, there's a whole lot of things that would change in American church. Are you with me? Yeah. The other one is lack of connection, that you're just not connected to somebody. It's easy to hide out in American church and go someplace, and I'm not against, I'm not, please don't get this wrong, I'm not against megachurches. I'm for as many people coming to Jesus as can, but, I, but here's what can happen. You can go hide out someplace and be there and not be connected and not be engaged with the local body, not be engaged, be doing church 
all by yourself, even though you're in the midst of a place and you're anonymous. And, and that's dangerous. And so this morning, we're going to see some places in Scripture. And we'll pick it up. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 1 and 2, if you want to find those. I'll also, before, we, before you get there, I'll give you Matthew 18, 16. Word says this. Uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. For Bible readers, you'll know this. He says, I say to you, you're Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell, the very seat of authority, if there is such a thing, of hell, where they make the decision, it's not going to prevail against it. This is, this is first mention. Now, some folks would say, well, I think you can find the church in the Old Testament, and I get it, but this is Jesus saying it for the first time. It's mentioned, this word, the Greek word is ekklesia, it's, it's mentioned three times in Scripture, all or in the Gospels, all three in in Matthew's gospel, and here Jesus is, he's letting them know, I'm going to build my church. Whose church is it? Come on, let me hear you. Everybody say, shout Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, we're going to be interactive today, so be ready to go. If I call on you, be ready. If I don't call on you, just be quiet. <laughs> I love you. Right. So, so it's his church. And who's building it? He is through us, right? 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 That's a tricky one. Yeah, now, now, now watch this, now watch this. So it's his church, he's using us to build his church, and guess what's not gonna happen? Nothing is going to stop, nothing. Nothing doesn't mean everything but one thing. Doesn't, nothing doesn't mean, well, there's a few things that's gonna really mess it up, and it's not gonna, no, nothing. Nothing is going to stop his church. You are a testimony to God's word today that his church, for, for nearly 2,000 years, has not been stopped. That here we are today, all the way from here to here on this corner of Sherman and County Line Road, we are worshiping God just like they did then. You say, well, Pastor, we got PA systems, and I know there's things different, right? There, there's, there's different nuances of it, but we're still worshiping the same Jesus. We're still coming before the same Father who gave his Son. We still have the same truth today as they did. Because his church hasn't been stopped. So Acts chapter 1, I'm going to give you a few verses that I think will help us as we, as we look forward. Acts chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 4. Jesus has them there together, and he says to them, uh, he commands them not to depart from Jerusalem in Acts uh, chapter 1, verse 4, but to wait. KJV says, tarry, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. And he says, for John truly baptized you with water. Here's the contrast. John did it with water. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, not many days hence. Right? There's something coming. Holy Spirit's coming. And, God, and God's going to baptize you. And then he goes on to verse 8, and he says this, but you shall receive power. Somebody shout power. What kind of church does God want? He wants a powerful church, not a powerless church, right? When the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, now, now catch this. What he's saying is that you who are going to be my church, you need to wait so that you can be endued with power by the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and I'll read six verses in Acts 2. Pick it up in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they've been waiting. They were all with one accord in one place. They're gathered there together. And there appeared, and suddenly, I'm sorry, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Doesn't that sound good? We need that today, don't we? 
Yeah. Next, next, next week is Pentecost Sunday. You may not have known that there was a Pentecost Sunday. It's next week. We're going to talk a little bit about the wind, right? It, check this out. You can't talk about Christianity in America without seeing the power of the wind. Do you realize in 1620, when pilgrims landed on Plymouth Rock, the reason they landed there and not in Virginia was because a wind pushed them to where they were at. I don't think it's a strange thing that we see the wind working here, the sound of wind, and we see the wind involved in uh, American Christianity. And he said, there's a rushing mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, we know there's a sound from heaven. The multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now here's the church, the birth of the church. And you may say, well, I think it happened here, and I'm cool with that, but, but here's what we're going to stick with today. The birth of the church, birth of the church, it's not born in powerlessness and prayerlessness, right? It's not, it's not born in any of those things. It's born in power. It's born in a prayer meeting. And, and, and not only that, it's born of the Spirit. First day of the church, right? Inaugural service. I mean, they got to sign out. Doors are open. Grand opening. The big banner and the, 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 the used car lot, flashy flags. Right? I'm playing, I'm playing. First day, first day. And guess what? Everybody in the whole house was filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's a game changer when it comes to the church. In fact, I don't think you can have the church without the Holy Spirit. And when I was a kid, we do this little thing, you know, you guys know how it goes, and you got like, here's a steeple, and you open it up, and there's all the people. Did anybody ever do that? Yeah. Right? Is, that is that a prior millennium? Some of you younger people did this too. And so so we do that, and you know, all the people, and then I've heard people, I've said it myself, and I'll say it to you today. The church is not the structure. Structure is a part of what we do to gather. Church is the people, right? Yeah. I mean, I get a big amen on that. Church is the people, right? Yeah. yeah. But that's only part of the equation. Because I could say the world's the people too. Are you with me? The world's the people. Yes. Amen. Preach it, Pastor Tony. Right? The church is the people. Yes. Because we because we made it a building so many times and we got it wrong. We know it's the people. That's only part of it. Right? You can't have the church without the people and the Holy Spirit. People of the Spirit are the church of the living God. Not just people, people of the Spirit. People who walk in the Spirit, people who are led by the Spirit, people who are filled with the Spirit, people who have the fruit of the Spirit, who operate in the gifts of the Spirit, that's the church of the living God. Right? People of the Spirit. So it's born, Acts chapter 2. And then I love it on down here, it says this, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. So continuing, continuing daily, somebody shout daily, with one accord in the temple, might underline that if you've got, a, if you've got an actual Bible or highlight it on your mobile device, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Both are important, in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. What is that? That's the public expression of our faith, right, in the temple. And then in, in this, we, we call them groups here, in groups, in homes, that, that, that expression of your faith where it's, where it's in a, a smaller context. He says, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor, we were singing about that earlier, right? With all the people, and the Lord added to, another good underlying place, and the Lord added to the church daily. Boom. Who did he add to the church? Those who were being saved. 
I want to tell you, we got steps coming up at 1230. If you haven't, if you haven't registered for steps yet, they still got some space in there for you. Feed you lunch. It's an hour. Hour. Take care of your kids. It's about Elevation Church. If you're not connected, it's a way to connect. But let me help you. That doesn't necessarily make you a part of the church, right? Putting your name on the roll, having membership, going through a series of classes. That's not how you become a part of his church. When you become a part of his church is you're saved, right? When you're saved, when you're born again, when you acknowledge that, that you need Christ in your life, that you've been, you've been a sinner and he is, the, he is the answer to that and you repent, change directions from your sinning ways and say, I want you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Lord means I'm gonna let you call the shots in my life. I'm not in the driver's seat. I want you in the driver's seat. When you do that, that's entering into a place of being a part of his church. Aren't you glad for that? So, so, it's, so it's not the denominational name. It's not the affiliation that you have as a Christian. It's the idea that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, and you proclaim that, and you, and you walk forward in that. And here's what Paul says. I love this verse, Acts 28, 28. You can remember it, 28, 28. Paul says this. He's, he's almost at the end of his life. He's in Rome. He said, therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And for the majority of us this morning, we need to grab that verse because that verse meant this, that we can know Jesus, that there was going to be a faith handed down to us, an ancient faith, a faith that has lasted centuries and millennia, that's been handed to us, and that we can know the truth. Because God wanted you all along. God's for you. Right? He's trying to get this truth. God is working. And this will be something you can say this morning. Everybody say, God's working. God's working. God's working before you ever breathe your first breath on this life. God was working for you. God is working to get his truth to us, his word to us. You'd know God's word. And we're going to see that today in a few moments. That God is working to get his love to us. That it's not a, a works-based kind of thing, but it's a relational thing. God wants to be in relationship with you. That's why the veil in the temple was split. That's why Jesus came. That's why, that's why that he, he handed this off to his disciples so that they would go and spread this word. That's why the Holy Spirit was given, that you would be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. God is working to get his love to us, and God is working to get his community of faith to us, his church. And throughout history, we see how God is working that we would be present today to know his truth, to experience his love, and to be engaged in his community, right? And so, uh, let's start, let's start. So you're gonna get, I'm gonna move this over. Farther. Here we go, here we go, here we go. So you can see, and, and again, if you're taking notes right fast, somebody told me when they were in Bible college, it took them a whole semester to do some of this, so, so I'm, I'm gonna hit some highlights. I hope I stir a hunger in you I hope, I hope I stir something in you to say, hey, I want to I read more about that. I want to I spend, spend more time knowing about this. So Acts chapter 2, here, I'm going to give you three real quick. For the people that needed three points, here you can use these, okay? Scattered. Everybody shout scattered. Scattered. Okay. scattered. God works in the gathered church and in the scattered church. And in the birth of the church, it was the gathered. This morning we are gathered. We're together, we're gathered. Praise God for the gathered church, right? Do you like it? Yeah. Do you like that part where we got up and went around and got to meet somebody? Did anybody meet anybody new say yes? Yeah. Did anybody find out something new say yes if you did? 
good, good, good. And so scattered, uh, again, scattered here and scattered there. So, so here's, here's where I think it first happens in Acts 2. It says this, there were, there were devout, devout Jewish believers that were present on the day of Pentecost. They were there to celebrate. They came from all over different places. They were there to celebrate. And it says this, that everybody heard in their own language. And in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came to Jesus, baptized, people filled with the Holy Spirit. And now they're going to they're gonna scatter and go back where they're from. They're going to go back. And when they go back, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to be like, well, I had that really transformative experience back when I was in Jerusalem and never had anything like that before in my life. I, I accepted Jesus as the Messiah, our long-awaited Messiah. I accepted him, and now I'm going to keep it all to myself. No way. On the first day, the first service of the church, the Holy Spirit's at work doing exactly what Jesus said. 17 to 21 different nations got to hear the gospel in their own language and would take it back. And they'd say to their friends and family, hey, let me tell you. Sit down for a minute. Let me tell you what happened to me back in Jerusalem when I was there. I found out that the one we've been waiting for, the anointed one, the one that God's going to send to deliver us, he has come and he's resurrected. And I, and I received him as that and I was baptized and I was filled with the Holy Spirit and I can't keep quiet about this because the Holy Spirit's going to send us to be witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and guess what? Even to America, the uttermost parts of the, of the earth. God's sending, right? God's sending, scattering Believers. Another one is in another place I see it in Acts chapter 8. I'll write down Stephen here. Says this, says this, that there was a great and heavy persecution that came to the church. And there, there, was, there, was, this, there was this problem with, with Judaism because some of the folks uh, were really upset about this and didn't believe it. And so, and so they're pushing hard against, and there, there's threatenings and all this stuff, and Stephen is stoned. And it says that people scattered. Not the apostles, not at this point, but people scattered and went in directions. In fact, later in the book of Acts, when Paul would arrive at places, people already knew about Jesus. People already knew uh, sometimes. They were already following. There was, there was, there was a, a, um, a residue of what had happened through these scatterings. And then Acts chapter 12. Go back and read it this week. James, I'll write James maybe, and apostle, well, they're both, they're both apostles, Paul. And, uh, and what happens there is James, um, looks like, I almost say second big name martyr. Um, Stephen was the first martyr that we read about in scripture for the gospel. James, by a sword, he's a leader, he's taken out. That's definitely going to cause, just watch this, if, if you're in America and somebody is, and the government official comes and takes out a leader, that's going to cause you to, to, to wonder, what should we do? You, you understand how this could play out, right? So it's very, it's very heavy time. And Paul, who had already got this vision to go reach, take the gospel to the Gentiles. This is this going to be a Jewish thing. God's, God's moving Paul uh, to go to the Gentiles. And so him and Barnabas get sent out in Acts uh, 13, sent out to go. And so now they're going another Another place where the scattered church, the Holy Spirit working, people of the Spirit working to take the gospel. Aren't you glad God is working? Yeah. Let me hear you say it. God is working. God is working. Yeah, God is working. God was working. God is working. 
And so, and so you have this incredible uh, act of the Holy Spirit moving people out. The Holy Spirit always points people to Jesus. Not in a different direction. Holy Spirit's not trying to point you to some man. He's trying to get you to Jesus. And God works through men. God works through women. But he's getting you to Jesus. And that's what he's doing here. He's moving the gospel. So, so the Old Testament, we read it. It's all about the idea that God's getting a group of people ready for Messiah. So when Messiah comes, he'll tell them, I've got to go away so the Holy Spirit can come, but it's going to be better for you because the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you, work through you. In fact, when I read about the Acts of the Apostles, if I was naming it and I wasn't there and I didn't name it, and my name may not be as good, but, but I, think, I think I would name it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, right? Because that's what happens. We read about the Apostles, the Holy Spirit working through them to get the gospel all the way here. Just know that because of a guy named Paul, right, who, who, who was Jewish, who would take and leave where he had been and take the gospel that you and I know the gospel today. Now, I'm going to give you three dates real quick. I'm going to try not to give you a lot of dates, but I'll give you a few. So 64 AD, Paul's in Rome. He's, he's on his way. He wants to get to the palace. You'll read it in Acts Book of Acts is base-level church history, right? In fact, read those 28 chapters. You could do four a day and have it done just about in a week, okay? It wouldn't take you that long to read through the, the, the book of Acts. It's church, church history 101. So 64, Paul, Paul is in Rome, and in Rome, while he's there, Nero, who is the ruler of Rome at the time, he's, he's the king, he's the Caesar, he accuses... Christians of burning Rome, setting Rome on fire. Well, if your home's burnt in a big fire that's been a citywide fire, how many know, and you hear that this Christian guy did it, it even builds up some more dislike for these Christians that are kind of coming into the place. And so, so he does that. And at the same time, check this out, Holy Spirit at work, a prophetic word. Now, because they're people of the Spirit, uh, prophetic words are going to be common in church history. A prophetic word comes forth, and for Christians... To, to, to leave Jerusalem, to, to move out of Jerusalem. And so they begin to do that. 66 AD, Paul is, uh, dies a martyred death. In fact, all, all the apostles, as far as we know, except John, John died somewhat of natural causes. He was definitely persecuted. They, they banished him uh, to exile on the Isle of Patmos. They tarred and feathered him and marched him down through the streets. Uh, I believe they boiled him in oil. Or, or, yeah, so, I mean, they did some pretty horrible things to him, but he died of, at an old age of 90, 90 so. Uh, Paul, instead, he wouldn't be hung on a cross because he's a Roman citizen. They're not going to do that to a Roman citizen. He's beheaded, and uh, his life is ended. And then 70 AD, another important date, is the siege of Jerusalem. It's when the Romans came in, and uh, according to Jesus' words of prophecy, Jesus said, don't weep for me, and Weep for, for your children and your children's children. They just about leveled, right? Temple gone. They've not had a temple since then. Now, a temple's a pretty big deal if you're a Jew. I mean, it's, it, your, your worship evolves around, revolves around, I'm sorry, the temple. Um, promised land until 1946 40, and 48. Promised land has been taken from you. The, the diaspora where the Jews are dispersed all over the world happens, and so... Um, if you ever ever read or hear somebody talking about Judaism, they're going to talk about they're going to talk about the Torah. They're going to talk about uh, the Talmud. They're going to talk about tradition because 
they dug into that, still digging into it, because they, they don't have homeland, they don't have temple, and so they're gonna dig into that. Now, so you understand, uh, the Jewish faith, I would liken it to the older brother for us. And I don't mean this in some drive a stake in the ground theological stance, but just for the, the picture so you get this, that when we look at the Old Testament, that was God working with the Jewish people, his chosen people. And by the way, you need to be praying for Israel right now. Yes. You need to pray for Israel. I mean, the Bible says this in Psalms 122 and 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not, don't do it for your benefit. Do it because God said to do it. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for Israel. They're under attack right now. Uh, people would like to wipe them off the face of the planet. And when I say pray for Israel, it doesn't discount the fact or divorce itself from the idea that you can pray for Palestinians too. Like God loves the Palestinians as well, right? And, and they need Jesus. And I, I've got some friends that are missionaries that go to Palestinian people, and a lot of them are believers and, and love Jesus. And so uh, there's some horrible leadership that's misleading them, uh, and, and we need God to deliver them from that leadership. And somebody said, well, Pastor Tony, are we praying against Bible prophecy? No, we're, we're doing what our role is, pray for Israel, pray for Jerusalem, for peace, nothing lacking, and pray that God will work in the hearts of men in Palestine, amen, in Gaza Strip. And so, and, and God, would, God would just, I'd love it if the Muslim world could come to the knowledge of the love of Jesus. It's happening. It is happening. I, I don't, it's not in my notes. I don't have any, hardly any notes today. It's not necessarily in my notes today to tell you this, but just know this. God is working among Muslim people through dreams and visions to see Jesus in his love. And the church is growing in, in nations that won't allow them to be Christians. And, and so... So the great separation kind of occurred here because uh, prior to this, uh, in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, Jews and Christians lived side by side. And, and those Jesus followers were trying to tell their Jewish brothers and sisters and family members, hey, Jesus has come. They're still waiting for him to come. The Jews are still waiting, many of them, for the, most of them, for the Messiah to come. And they didn't, they didn't understand, rejected at that moment. And, and so the separation occurred. And so... So Christians, oh, let's take it up. Oh, here's an important date, 170 AD. You could even jot in 140. And here's what I want to put down, the word canon. Canon is a measuring device. Uh, sometimes people say 382, and I get the council when that was approved, but all the way back to there, your Bible, your New Testament, all the books in it were written before 100 AD. It's pretty close They've got, they've got evidence all the way back to, to 50 and 60 AD of, of, of uh, some of the, the gospels and, and parts of them and some of the epistles. And so by this time, by 170, they had already decided that for the most part, these are the books that we believe are inspired. They had, again, a measuring device, the canon is what produced this. And so, and so, you know, maybe Hebrews and James, some folks had problems with those, or Third John or Second Peter. But for the most part, the Bible that we have now was intact by that point. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Let, let me show you something. That this book that you have, this truth that's been handed to you is ancient. I, I know we've revised it and tried to get it more in our language, at least in English. You know, we've, we've, we've tried to, let's, let's modernize the wording and let's try to make it so that we understand it because languages are tricky and all that. And so here's what, the, the bottom line is this that the 66 books that you have now, because people say, hey, Pastor, what do you think about the Apocrypha? Or what do you think about the Book of Enoch or these things? And I'm like, what? I'm still working on the 66 books. 
I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I'm leaning on this date all the way back here that those that were very close understood this was the truth and they handed it off. And so by the time, by the time, well, let's move up, uh, how about 312? By the time we get to 312 and 325, you can write that down too, 325 AD. By the time you get to that or another one, 387, I said I wouldn't give you a lot of dates. My wife told me to be careful giving too many dates, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you, and she helps me. So, and so, so by the time you get up there and you're, you're deciding on what is the scripture, what is the canon of scripture, it's pretty much what they've handed off way back there. The, the letters to the churches that they were passing around and they were given, they would say, hey, Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians. Look at the truth in this. That they were still, that th those letters are, are what was handed off here. Now, 312 AD is important because of a guy named, well, let's just do this, the Milvian, Milvian Bridge. I bet if you Google that, don't do it now, you'll come up with this story. So Constantine, a guy named Constantine, uh, he has this dream. And some people are like on the, you know, they're, they're different. Some people are like, this guy was like the devil's guy, and other people are like, this guy was the saint, and I just like don't have time to get in that argument. I just look at, okay, what God did you do through him? Because I mean, you know, God's working. Shout it, God's working. Yeah. God's working to get his truth, his love, his community to us. And so God was working, and God will use flawed people. In fact, I said this in the first service. Let me just say this, that as I talk about some of this, we're looking back on stuff. You know, if, 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 if you review after the game is played on the Super Bowl and you review what the coach did, you're like, why did he do that? Because you could see clearly he shouldn't have done that. Or if you look back at American history and you see some of the stuff we did and you're like, man, we didn't get it right there. We should have did this different, right? Anybody ever see that? It's okay to say that. doesn't mean you're not patriotic. It means you're, we look back on things and we can see it much clearer. Why, why, why didn't we do that that way? We look back at incredible people in the history of the world and we're like, they were flawed. Well, guess what? We're flawed too. We have a much better lens many times to see things through because we're looking back on it. So when we look back, well, um, Constantine here, flawed guy, and he had this dream. He had this dream, and he saw this, he saw this sign. Now, I'm a little suspicious of the sign he saw because I've seen pictures of what he said it was. He thought it was a cross, and I'll say yes. Maybe the only cross he knew to see. And what it said was, in this sign, conquer. So what this pagan king did, was he, or general at the time, what he did was he took all of his soldiers and he said, I want that sign on your shield, and he baptized them. Now, typically, it's good if the guy that's been baptized baptizes. He hadn't been baptized yet, but he's baptizing people because he knew somehow that's what Christians did, okay? God's using flawed people, okay? Right? So you're like, that doesn't make sense. doesn't make sense. Well, here's, what, here's what's pretty cool. Constantine and uh, Eusebius, who wrote his biography, wrote that on his deathbed, he confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, which is pretty cool. I don't know what his life was like before that, but, but here's what I know he did. For as long as we've been a nation, okay? So think back to George Washington. Think back to guys that are signing the Declaration of Independence. That's a long time ago. For as long as we have been a nation, the church was under heavy persecution up until this date, 312. Heavy, when I say heavy persecution, I don't think we can fathom. 
I don't have time to go into all the detail, nor do I know that you want to hear it. And you could go read Fox's Book of Martyrs or some of the books they have that, that talk about it. But stuff like uh, a father in a coliseum being tied to a stake and his children being brought in while wild animals ate them in front of him because he's a Christian, because they made it illegal, that the church had to go into catacombs and, and were underground, literally underground in the tombs to worship because it was illegal and under Diocletian, one of the Roman emperors, I mean, stuff like, stuff like um, a, uh, a woman who had seven sons who was a Christian, they tried to get her to denounce her faith and they shaved the skin off of her son's bodies with a razor to get her to denounce Jesus. We can't imagine that hardly, can we? Right? But here's, here's what should have happened. What should have happened is, by all common sense, we would think, well, the church would just die during that time. Because who would want to continue to serve God when it's illegal, when your life could be taken? Not only that, you could be tortured or your family tortured and killed because of it. And yet, and yet, God was working and his church was growing. And people looked at those people in the Colosseum that, that, would, that would sing songs of praise to God while they were dying and said, whatever they got, we want because they've got something we don't have. And the church grew. Oh, that we would have that in America. The people of the world would look and say, I don't know what they got, but I need to know it because I need, I need to have what they have. And the church grew because Jesus said this, I'm going to build my church and nothing is going to stop it. And through, again, the history of our nation is a, good, is a good comparison to the amount of time from, from, from here to here of persecution, incredible persecution. And, and so Constantine says, no more. And it wasn't shortly after that, that faith, it was okay to be a Christian. In fact, Rome adopted Whatever place they were at, whatever your God was, okay, we're okay with it. They were okay with Jews being Jews, right? Something about Jesus, why the enemy wanted to stop the church. He wanted to stop you from knowing truth, from knowing God's love. And so, and so there's a game changer. A lot of pagan practices entered the church, a lot of stuff that brought impurities, but also a lot, a lot of good things. And one of the things he did was in 325 AD, he convened a council of bishops, of church leaders, and he said this. He said, there's, there's so many splinter groups. And I think, in my mind, I think he's trying to understand all this himself. There's so many splinter groups of people that don't understand. Like you got this, these people here that say this about Jesus and these people say this. And let's get together and let's, let's, let's draft. And out of that came the Nicene Creed, um, based partly on the Apostles' Creed. Because um, here's what they had. They had some people, we still have this today, there's, there's, there's cults that still think these kind of things and, and stand on these kind of things, that Jesus was just a man. Now, he was a man. That's a true statement, right? Jesus was a man on this earth. That they understood that, but they were troubled that he was deity because he died. They were troubled that he was God in the flesh because of what happened. So, so there's some folks that said he was just a man. In fact, there's people today that say he's just a man, and if you live a perfect, sinful, a sinless life, if you do like Jesus, then you can be a God on some planet somewhere and have spirit babies and repopulate another planet. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? So, so they thought he was just a man and there was others that thought, well, he's just a spirit. He wasn't really a man at all because they looked at what Jesus did, kind of like they were in that boat. Remember that when Jesus was in the boat? Remember he was in the boat and, 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 and he, he's, he's out there and he looks at the, water, the storm, he says, peace be still, and it stops. And they say this, what manner of man 
is this that even the winds and waves obey? We can't hardly get our minds around. These are the people that are doing life with him. And so others, they're looking, they say, well, he's just a spirit. He wasn't a man at all. And so in, in, in the Nicene Council, they're trying to, okay, what does this look like? And there was a guy, that young guy. He wasn't old enough to be in there with the old guys that, that knew a bunch of stuff. He had to stay on the outside. He's 27. 27 is the age when rock stars die, right? And he's, he, he's outside. He's outside. And here's what, here's what they say about it. People that recorded, I forget which historian uh, recorded it. I think it was Eusebius. He said this, that, that they would go outside, and they, his name was Athanasius. Athanasius played a huge role in the faith you have today, right? It's been handed down. And so they go out and they say, they're saying this. Tell us, and here, here's, here's the thing. This is one of the things that, that he wrote. I just want to read it to you today. And trying to, that, to trying to solve that problem, they were trying to figure out other things. When should Easter be? And they came out with a really odd idea, didn't they? We never know when Easter is, right? I'd tell you how they do it, but it's too much. Here's what he wrote. He said about Jesus, he is God from the essence of the Father. Amen to that, right? Begotten before time. Amen to that. He is human from the essence of his mother. Right. Born in time. So he's God born before time. He's God born in, or he's man born in time. Completely God, completely human with a rational soul and human flesh. Equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father in regards to humanity. Right, right, right. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two. There were some that thought that. But one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one, certainly, not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. Revolutionary that they got to that truth. God was trying, working to get his truth to us. And the early, the early church fathers, they came out with a word, two Greek words, theanthropos, the God-man. It's a hypostatic union of, of Jesus, uh, God in flesh. And we just received that like, well, we know that, Pastor Tony. Well, they were struggling with it way back there. And they came out with the answer. They came out with the answer. And they got it right because God was working. Now, let's see, where are we going to drop off now? Let's do, let's do this. Wait a minute. Here, let's write this, 386. I'm going to write a guy's name, Augustine. There's a, there's a popular name. He wrote the book, The City of God. Every Christian should read that book. Augustine compared uh, the church, the kingdom of God, to a city, because we understand what cities are. And, and, and he brought, I, would, I, I will add this, he brought an emphasis on grace that's kind of missing. It's, it's missing. So 386, um, he was baptized 386. And Augustine, you, our theology that we have, that we receive, that we believe, Augustine was a big player in handing that off to us. And uh, here's what Jerome, one of his contemporaries, said. Jerome was a guy that would put the word of God in, in Latin and called the Vulgate. And Jerome said this, that, oh, let me write it down, that Augustine made anew our ancient faith. 
They thought it was ancient then. Guess what it was? You know where our faith began. When God said, let there be light, right? Right, we believe that, right? Our, our faith is ancient. And, so, and so, so now we'll journey on a little further. Here we go. I know I'm moving quick. I'm moving, I, just, I just went up a whole 700, 600 some years. So, so 1054. Anybody know what that is? Just shout it out. Great schism, he's in first service. Or he's a history teacher. <laughs> Great schism. Great. This, this is when, again, we're, we're jumping forward a lot. Uh, and just know this, that a whole lot happened in between there. One day you're going to be on Jeopardy. You need to know this date, okay? <laughs> you should know it, though. It's a big, so it's, it's the five, it's one of the 500-year marks. So we're approaching a 500-year mark right now in the church. Here's what people, when they say church history, they say this, that about every 500 years, there's wholesale change in the church. Where an old structure that used to be is kind of left behind and a new structure is birthed because God is moving. And God, and God is working to get his truth. God is working to get his love to us. God is working to get his community to us. And what happened there was, it was kind of a split of east and west. Um, some of you have this background, Catholic. Catholic is a great word. It means universal. There we go. Uh, universal. And so, great word. And then you have this other word that's a great word too, orthodox. And it was a split of east and west. And, and basically, what it got down to was, one of the big, big ideas was, is the guy, the leader in Rome, the bishop there, is he the sole authority? Or are we going to continue as we have been with all the bishops having equal authority working together? And these rejected it, and those here received it. And, uh, and so then the church continues on. So there's a major split uh, that happens. And, and I would say that, that you, during this time, you see a very archaic structure here and one that becomes more modern here, uh, by the way. And, uh, and so then uh, continues on, and then I'll hit 1182, 1181. You Google it, you may even get 1180. So a guy by the name of St. We call him St. Francis. We got a hospital named after him, right? Um, it's when he was born. Again, he's a proponent for grace. And I will say this, that, that Augustine and St. Francis were future men when it came to their, to their theology. They were far ahead of a lot of people they were around. And thank God for them because they stretched people. They pushed something. In fact, they made a way, so we're going to move quickly, so that people in the 1200s, 1300s, 1400s would have a hunger to want to know God's word. Not, and so just so you understand, that there was a time when this book wasn't, wasn't available on Amazon that you could just buy it. And, and any version that feels comfortable to you so you can read it and, okay, I like that one because I like the way it reads. There wasn't, a, there wasn't one available to you at all. Just the people with the robes on, the people up front got to have it. And what would happen is because in any organization, flawed organization with people, sometimes things can get corrupted and so they could twist that. The reason people bring their Bibles to church, they don't know this, many of them. The reason is because when people first got Bibles in their language, they're like, oh, I've got, I, I, can, I can listen and I, I, can, I can read at the same time. And when somebody says something that's out of line, I'll know it. 
Hopefully you trust me, but I, you know, I encourage you, bring your Bible, follow along. If I'm not preaching what's in here, then I'm not doing what's right, right? Let right. me hear a big amen. amen. You're afraid. That's okay. Don't be too scared. So, so during these years, you have people like, like John Wycliffe who, who gets bits and parts of the Bible in English. In fact, you have in 1450, a guy by the name of Johann Gutenberg who, who creates the, invents the, the, the ability to print Books to print text. This is, I'm going to give you a bunch of dates and people's names real quickly. This is really important because now you got people like Martin Luther, a Catholic monk in 1517, who knells on the church door in Wittenberg, Germany, October 31st, and says, says this, the things that we are doing in our church is wrong. He wasn't trying to split the church. He wasn't trying to start something new. He was saying, we need reform in the church. And here's 95 things, 95 theses of what's wrong. We need revival, is what he's saying, in the church. Guess what? We need revival today. He said these are wrong. One of the thing, things was the sale of indulgences. Right? The, the idea that you pay enough money, you can do this sin, and you're kind of absolved of it. Well, we look at that and say, well, there's no way that's right, right? But back then, people were doing it because it was a great fundraiser to build a new cathedral. And guess what? If you don't know the Word of God, you can be quickly deceived. 1517, you got a guy named Christopher Columbus. 1492, what did he do? Sailed the ocean blue, right? Thankful to the teacher that taught you that. And I know, here's what we do. We look through our modern lens and look back, and guess what? He's a flawed guy. He didn't get it all right. We know that. But here's one thing he did. He said, because his name meant, Christopher means Christ bearer, one who bears Christ. One of the things that he did was he said, I want to pick out the missionaries that go with me on the trip. You're not going to hear this in a public school. He, I want to pick out the missionaries. Why do you think he want to do that? Because he wanted missionaries that's going to help people know the truth know God's love and know his community. Doesn't mean he wasn't flawed and he's looking at life through a different lens. Uh, you got William Tyndale. Uh, Martin Luther, I think it's like 15-something, put the, put the Bible in German for the German people, one of the first to complete Bible for the German people so they could know it in their own language. William Tyndale, uh, 1536. He produces the New Testament in English. He's not authorized to do that. They get him, they strangle him and burn him at a stake because he's putting the Bible in a language that people can read. And here's the problem. Here's the problem with, Amer with, with, with American Christianity and where we land is that there are people who bled and died, who gave their lives so that we could have a Bible that we can read and we won't even pick it up sometimes. Somebody said, Pastor, I thought you just want to tell some history. I am, and I want to step on your toes a little bit too right? Don't take for granted that you have this. It wasn't always that way. God has been working to get his truth to you. Yeah, and I'll give you a few other names. Ulrich Zwingli, um, John Calvin. These are all contemporaries. Uh, Joseph or uh, Jacob Arminius. Uh, John Knox in Scotland. Uh, Zwingli was in Switzerland, Calvin, France, in Switzerland, um, Dutch uh, was uh, Arminius, and John Knox was in Scotland, uh, Presbyterian Church, 
uh, your Calvinistic faith, maybe, maybe some, most of the Baptists, um, some of the, uh, uh, the Reformed movement, um, J- Jacob here, the Methodist, uh, the Nazarene, um, every Pentecostal group just about, um, many others. I won't get to all of them today. All flowed out of the, out of the teaching. In fact, the, these men were saying what we've been handed, they're called the reformers, what we've been handed has got corrupted. Let's get back to truth. And just like men, flawed men, um, one of them preaches a sermon out of Romans 7 and it gets published all around and others disagree. Agree. We got whole denominations based off of one sermon from Romans 7 that got misinterpreted. And check this out. God was working. God was working. God was working. I won't get all the way to, 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 to America. Uh, next week's Pentecost Sunday. We probably won't do it exactly like this. But, but here's, here's what we all need to know this morning is. That through the, and you can come. Through, through the highs and the lows, through the threats, through the, through the tough times, through the times when it looked like, well, this is it. We're not going to go any further. Through the dark ages, through the medieval times, through the times of heavy persecution, through the times of, of splits and, and factions in the church, even through all of that. See, it's no coincidence that by the time 1620 rolls around and some pilgrims in England, they were separatists. They were separating from, from the church that they thought had worldly practices. 1630, don't read much about this date, but a group called uh, those were pilgrim separatists. Puritans arrived. Puritans was like, we're looking at the Church of England, and they got some practices in worship that aren't right, and so we want to be pure in our worship. That they arrived on our shores. At the time that a Bible was in English, that there was a printing press to print it, that theology was being distilled so that we could, we could have evangelists that would come because the Holy Spirit was working. Because the church is, Matthew 5, 13 through 16, talks about the idea of the church, Jesus said, is salt and is light. Salt isn't meant to stay in the shaker. It gets poured out. Light, you've got to purposely try to stop it to keep it from getting out. If this room is dark and we light a candle, light starts going in every direction. That's the church scattered. Scattered throughout our world. The Holy Spirit working to get the gospel so that on May 16th, 2021, at noon, we'd be gathered together the way we are and know truth, know God's love, and know His church.